Hi, everybody. We're a couple of Dusty Muffins. I'm Julie Blacklow. And I'm Penny Legate, still dusty as ever. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> We're continuing a scintillating, how you like that word, Julie? Conversation. I like it. Yeah. Yes, with a man named David Sabe. For people in the Seattle area, he needs no introduction. But for those of you who are listening from points all over the world, Julie, tell us about David, because you really know him quite well. He is a true Renaissance man who came up from uh, almost a, a very poor upbringing to become one of the great builders, thinkers, and, and visionaries of our time. There's nothing he doesn't seem to know about. So today, we're going to hear from David talking about the most, what he considers the most significant organ in our body. And I'm not talking about that. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about the human brain. Happiness, elusive for many. Our special guest is David Sabe, part two of an ongoing conversation we are having with him about a variety of topics. And at the core of it all, according to you, Dave, is our software, as you refer to it, which is our brains. So no, the brain is the physical part. It's how you program that brain. And so it works good in this in this digital age to think of our brain as a computer. And what's interesting, even the, the compute world is starting to use neuroscience terms like neural networks and so on, because they're designing computers to, to more mimic how a brain works. The brain is the most amazing computer ever devised. Yeah, we could go into how amazing it is, but... We'll go into it. Yeah, the, the key takeaway that to, to begin with is when you're born, you have this brain that's developing. Our prefrontal cortex, which is memory, creativity, all that stuff, is not so well developed yet. Our limbic side is pretty good. Our hippocampus, which has memory, not so much because you don't have too much to memorize when you're first born. But those develop, and they develop just like software. Remember, we get all these upgrades to our software, constantly getting upgrades. Right, right. Some people don't get upgrades as their computer is evolving. And um, if you read David Eagleman's Livewired, which is a deep dive, Stanford, leading Stanford neuroscientists about how the brain works, it gives you some good insight into the most important organ we have in our body. And yet it's the most important tool we have, but few people have ever done a deep dive of how it works or how important it is. And so I played football. And a bunch of my buddies that played football, I'm burying them now from various brain injuries and, mm -hmm. and other things. And I think about these kids and banging their heads against each other and so on. This is the control system forever for our lives. My key point is we gain software. Mom is loading in software by how she treats baby. Mm -hmm. If baby feels that mom is empathetic and mom's got her six, then baby can worry about other things or can be creative. And if baby is fully secure and mom devotes 100% of her time programming baby with positive love signals, we talked about horses feeling a sense of whether you're happy, scared or not. Baby can feel the same thing for mom. And uh, baby can feel mom's stress. Baby can feel mom's happiness on a quantum level, you know, most people want to deny quantum physics and all that stuff to their own demise. But, you know, when you walk into a room, 
I like that guy. I don't like that guy. I like this person. I don't like that. It doesn't take very long and not a lot of words change, but you can just tell because there's a lot more communication going on. The point is that from inception, our brains are being programmed. And if they're programmed for optimization and optimal happiness and gratitude and all those things, instead of don't do that, don't do this, you can get a sense of why some kids are naturally happier than other kids. And some of it has to do with, and we could go into the biology of all this and genetics of all this, but the best part is if you think about software and you think about how we're training our brain and who's training our brain, and are we training our brain in the right way? Who can tell us how to train our brain in the right way? But the first thing is to understand that we can train our own brains. That, that's the first piece. How did your messaging change? You weren't in the first maybe 20, 30, 40 years of your life, you probably weren't thinking about the function of the human brain. That's a fairly new research area for you. Am I right? No. Oh, I'm wrong. <laughs> oh, oh, I want this noted. I was wrong. You were wrong for the right reasons. <laughs> yeah. But this all started when Mr. Tice asked me, Dave, you thought about playing football at the University of Washington. And that led me over time to think about what am I thinking about? And what should I be thinking about? Should I be thinking about all the negative stuff of the world? Or should I be thinking as in, in the Dalai Lama's happiness book? Yeah. He says, yeah, there's, there's lots of negative stuff. But what you have to do is calm down. And you have to look at everything from another perspective. And that's why I like, you know, never waste a crisis because there's a big opportunity in any crisis to find the path out. I'm a puzzle guy. I love puzzles. And so I look at all of these negatives as puzzles that we can figure out how to solve. And uh, and it's fun doing it. And I'm grateful. I mean, the Jesuits say you can't be happy if you're not grateful. Yeah. I'm grateful that serendipitously I fell into Mr. Tice. I feel grateful, as Warren Buffett says, you can't pick your mom. And so, and he calls it winning the ovarian lottery. I mean, I, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I could have been born in Raqqa, Syria, or I could have been born in Gaza. I wonder how my days would be going in the stress and what I might be thinking about. But the point is, we can think about whatever we want to think about. And in the Bible, it says, choose darkness or choose light. I decided I'm choosing light from an early age because it's way more fun. Wow. So you were aware of this probably because of your interaction with the amazing Lou Tice, but have you ever had moments when that message changed or do you have to think about it every day when you wake up, I'm going to be this way or, you know, I mean, how does that work for you on a daily basis? That's a long story, but let me give you just a couple little hints. One of the things that I learned early on because in those days, they beat the heck out of athletes. I mean, you know, Jim Owens came from Oklahoma University. Bear Bryant and him were buds. And Mr. Tice was a devotee of that, of optimal physical capability. And so we'd run people till they dropped. I can remember kids passing out from heat prostration at the UAW from practice and so on. The idea was to push everybody as hard as they could. 
What I learned is as an algorithm or a little saying to myself, and this sounds a little corny, but you got to get back into a 17-year-old kid's brain. And I would say, this is ugly. This hurts. But because if I can get through this, it's going to raise me to another level, then I like it. So bring it on. Even now, if I go into a tough business meeting, and I know I'm going into a tough business meeting, I run that little piece of software by and say, you know, it's going to be fun, but it's going to raise me to a new level. I'm not going to get mad. I'm not going to get upset. I'm going to listen, but I'm going to use the Dalai Lama's deal. I'm going to look at this as a different perspective, and I'm going to find the different perspective. I'm going to find the solution to this problem. You're telling your brain that, that you're putting those. I've, I've habituated that behavior. Wow. And that's the way I felt about my breast cancer when I was diagnosed with it. Quite aggressive type of cancer. But I just said, I'm going to survive this and I'm going to get through the treatment and it's going to make me a stronger person. And I can then help other people who go through the same thing. To me, it was just like it was very clear. And, and like I said before, I, I tend to default to the negative because I get easily depressed about. No, you're not at, not no. anymore. You don't tend no, to default to you, negative anymore. You tend to default you to don't, the positive. Penny, but we've done lots of podcasts about the importance of gratitude. We talk yes. about it all the time. So grateful every day, yeah. every yeah. day. So we're going to default yeah. to the positive yeah. from now on. Yes. We're going to watch our self-talk so that we're not talking negative to self. We're going to talk positive. So, Penny... It's proven scientifically that the nocebo effect and placebo effect are real. <laughs> this this tool set is way more powerful than anyone knows. I believe there's way more than anybody knows. There's a an old Aleut story about granddaughter and grandfather sitting on a log, campfire, above the Arctic Circle, 24 hours of darkness. Granddaughter looks up at the stars and says, Grandfather, so beautiful. Tell me about the stars. Grandfather looks down at granddaughter and says, I would, but our mouths are so small. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. you think about that mm -hmm. for a second. We're, we're so stuck on all the day-to-day -day stuff, and people are distracting us in every direction, trying to get us to do stuff that's stupid and, and bad for us and whatever yeah. else. If you just sit back and realize just look up at, at the moon or the sun or the stars or the clouds or the fog and realize we're just little specks on something really cool. And what we need to do is start exploring for the coolness instead of being focused on the negative because people want you to focus on right. the negative so that they can get you to do something. That's what our podcast is devoted to, focusing on these issues. And there's just such little teeny pieces of beauty everywhere. You can smell you can, it. You yeah. can, I mean, just take five minutes and go into the forest and listen to oh, the forest, yeah. the, the, the wind blowing in the trees. I mean, Julie, you, uh, you live in the in a farm and whatever else, and nature and animals and things. I mean, for thousands of years, that was the world that we are subconsciously programmed to live in. No human beings have lived like this. <laughs> you know, this is only 200 years. I don't know how long since Neanderthal, but it's been a long time. A, li a little bit of time. Yeah, no. Our souls miss it. I think our souls deeply miss it. We're a couple of dusty muffins. And today we're talking with the amazing David Sabe. So, so the Dalai Lama says, and I do this at my ranch in Montana. I love picking sticks because... You know, I came up through the labor side of the world, and uh, so I like calluses, and 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 I like working outside. And uh, but we have this mountain range behind us, the Swan Mountains, 
And the Dalai Lama says, you need to look at those formations and think about it from an awe standpoint. Awe is something that's missing. Mm -hmm. And when I, I'm picking these sticks and I look at that awe, and they're beautiful and the shapes and, you know, all human-made stuff has all sharp edges and it's all organized. And whatever. But, you know, the fractals that are the forest and the colors and whatever else. So I look at that. And I like this, you know, just going, ah, oh, that's cool, you know, ah. Oh. Yeah. And then I'm driving across 520 in the morning and it's rainy and there's all these glaring lights because it's before daylight and cars are zipping in. Can you get jammed up? And then I think back on those mountains and I relax my face and I can feel the tension coming out of my face because I didn't realize it was tensed up. But this is back to the Dalai Lama is you have to take these moments these moments to to see the beauty and 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 to you know kind of push ourselves away from this life that has been created that uh, has some it has some good things there's nothing I'm not knocking the way we live but we just got to inject back in what we learned for thousands of years and and that's what we're longing for and this mm -hmm. releases I'm sure cortisol effect in our brains and starts to reframe what we see and how we feel, more importantly. I take a lot of comfort in looking at that picture of Earth from Voyager, where we're just a tiny, the tiny blue dot that uh, mm -hmm. Carl Sagan talks about. Mm -hmm. I, I take, that's the awe. Then I go, you know, I'm alive. I'm lucky to be alive. I won the ovary lottery too. Yep. And so gratitude, that's, I think Penny and I talk about it every other podcast we do. I'm getting so emotional. <laughs> I just... It's okay, because that's your body telling you that I need more of this. Yeah. I need, and it's your body just releasing, let it go. I mean, mm -hmm. get rid of that tension. So Julie, I want to just jump on one thing you just said. So I got to spend a lot of time with Harrison Jack Schmidt. Who is Harrison Jack Schmidt? He's the first geologist to walk on the moon. And he said, Dave, you have no idea how emotional it is. Because he said, first of all, you got to remember that we're trained for every step, every minute is programmed into a software, whatever. But he says, every astronaut that I've ever talked to, that the first time they get out of the space vehicle, whether spacewalking or walking on the moon, and they look back at the Earth, he said, it's a feeling of awe and joy and spectacular. He says, everything, Houston is completely out of your mind. Everything you've trained, been trained goes away. He said, it is an unbelievable moment. And he wrote a book called Back to the Moon, which talks about helium-3 and whatever else. But anyway, you get a chance to go read that. But it's interesting when people have off-Earth moments the impact that it makes on them. I want to share a quick story. When I met the Dalai Lama many years ago, he visited Seattle. I was in a gaggle of reporters at Boeing Field, a little bit south of Seattle. The Dalai Lama came out of his plane, started walking towards us, and you could feel him before you could actually see him. Anyway, he approaches me in this gaggle of reporters. He looked at me and he said, do you have any questions, young lady? <laughs> and I thought, you know, you, you, Dave and Penny both know me. I was speechless, an unusual thing for me. And I said, uh, no, your holiness, I can't think of anything to ask. And he said to me, that's good, my dear, because I have no answers. <laughs> <laughs> From the mouth of the Dalai Lama, 
You'll love that. I love that. Well, this is this is the Aleut that looks down at his daughter and says, I would, but our mouths are so small. Too small. Right. But but and this confirms the the quantum thing. There's these energy fields around us, just and the horses are much more sensitive than humans are because we've lost empathy. We've lost humanness. We are social beings. The marginalia, the psychological website, she says that human beings are emotional pack animals, emotional pack animals <laughs> that are organized around common core values and common purpose. I mean, we're lonely. Americans yeah. are lonely. And there's all these people and they're lonely. And COVID didn't help. COVID no, made no. things worse. Yes, I mean, it's terrible. But but we're we're coming out of that now. There'll be another pandemic, God knows when. But but right now, no, nope, don't we, be negative. I'm sorry. Well, no, I'm. That's realistic. <laughs> good for you. Good I'm, for you. You're good catching for you, on. Penny. You can see why being around David Sabe is a really <laughs> incredible experience. And Penny and I, I, I still refer back to that time after we spent several hours with him. We we couldn't even drive the car. We were so, uh, uh, you know, really. And now I'm crying. I have nothing more to say. I'm just crying. Just let me cry. But just think how much fun we're having. We are. And, I know. You know, one of the things people like about our podcast is when Penny and I laugh together, we find humor in everything. It's hard when I'm crying. No. I like to laugh at Julie because she gets all kicked off and upset. <laughs> like yeah. cracks me up. And nobody ever gets to laugh at Julie. She gets, she'll like. Bite your head off if you do. I know, no, I don't bite anymore. I you used don't to bite, bite anymore. So we're, we're we're gonna wind up this second podcast with the amazing David Sabi. I know he doesn't like all those adjectives, but we get to say what we want to about him because it's our podcast. So, <laughs> so we'll be talking to him again on another. I think actually a little nerve wracking subject, which is artificial intelligence, but. That's for another podcast. David, you have the last word. Doing cool stuff with cool people that raises all boats, that's happy. That's where I am. You know, a buddy of mine took out his 24-foot Stanley tape, ran it out, pinched it at 80, which is the average American male lives to be 77, 78 now, and says, where are you on that tape? And that kind of informs you about what we should be thinking about. And as my dad says, there's no pockets on coffins for a reason. So you better do cool <laughs> stuff with cool people that raises all boats. Because when you're in a rocking chair on the porch at the end of life, that's all you got is your great memories and your friends. So what's more important than this? Well said. Thank you. My pleasure. You've got something to say as much as we do, and we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at coupladustymuffins at gmail.com. That's C-O-U-P-L-A, dustymuffins at gmail.com. Ask us anything or tell us what's happening in your world. Hey, thanks for listening. I'm Production Director Clem Daniels. <laughs>